that'll get your blood moving, won't it? Nothing says happy advent like a little James Bond, right? Some of you are really confused right now. You're all in the Christmas spirit, and then you saw that, and what's going on? Well, we pray that you do feel uh, welcomed here today, and James Bond says happy advent uh, to you uh, this morning. And uh, again, we're so glad that you're here, and my name is John, and would love to uh, connect with you afterwards if I haven't met you uh, already. The reason I show you that is to start by asking you this question this morning. What is it that you're pursuing these days? What is it that you're chasing after? That uh, sequence actually is 11 minutes long, and I chopped it down to two for you. So you can imagine how long that opening chase scene goes. And granted, we're not all James Bond, but the truth is we are all chasing after something in our lives. Amen? We're all, we're all pursuing something. We all have our sights set on something, over, various things over the course of our lives, whether it be a great education, more degrees, whether it be that perfect job, whether it be that special someone, or even the basic things of pursuing love and intimacy and happiness or pursuing contentment. And so I want to add on to that question, this question, if somebody were to look at your life these days from an outside perspective, from a, a, a third-person view, what would they say that you're spending the majority of your time and energy pursuing? Just think about that for a second. If somebody were to look at your life, how do you spend your days? How do you spend your hours? What is it that you are pursuing? Maybe not a, a runaway bad guy like James Bond is chasing, but what are you set after? What are you chasing after today? Pursuing the wrong things can certainly be a temptation uh, this time of year, uh, especially a few weeks ago in what's come to be known as Black or Thursday, I guess, depending on what store you shop at now, uh, right? And depending on when your favorite store Opens. Now, don't get me wrong, I got nothing against shopping, but my style of shopping is probably different from some of yours. I'm more of a uh, hunt and kill kind of guy. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Just in and out, right? Get what you need and you're out, right? And I will begin my Christmas shopping on December 23rd. That's when, I, that's when I get going. So I got nothing against shopping. I think it's great. I think you should go out. I think you should get gifts for people. But this mad pursuit, this chasing after the wrong things can be dangerous as well. Some of you have experienced this, whether it's on Black Friday or just being out shopping. Nothing spreads Christmas love and joy as much as trampling your fellow holiday shoppers at 1.30 in the morning, throwing elbows, saying Merry Christmas with holiday cheer as you're knocking your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to the ground, all for the chance to secure that one thing that you can't do without, or should I say, things that you can't do without. Seven cheese graters for $6.99 a piece. Merry Christmas. I just made that up. I don't even know if there are electronic cheese graters. Are there? Okay, whatever it is that you're chasing after. But it's easy to get distracted by the wrong things. We all find ourselves chasing after various things in our lives, and not just during Christmas, but especially during this Advent season and also in our lives. 
this season that we're in of the church right now is called Advent, and it's about waiting patiently. Not running after so many things, but waiting patiently. This time of reflecting, of calming our hearts. And in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, in the midst of all your to-do lists and everything going on in your life, we're called to be still. And we hold that candle this time of year, and we sing, joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Doesn't sound like the pace of life of a lot of our lives. If we're not careful, our lives, our, the, our rhythm to life during this season of Advent can actually look a lot more like that James Bond scene. <laughs> we're running after this and we're running after this and we got to get ready for Christmas because what is the question everybody's asking? Are you ready for Christmas? Do you have your to-do list done? Are you ready to go? And oh yeah, find some time to let your heart prepare room for the king. In other words, I think what God wants to say to us this Advent is, be careful what you are pursuing. Be careful what you are chasing after. Not just during this Christmas season, but with your heart. And this advice is not just what he gives to us. God actually gives this advice once upon a time to the wisest man who ever lived. Wow! It must be pretty important advice. If the smartest, the wisest man who ever lived needed to hear this advice as well. And his name was King Solomon. So if you have your story Bibles or just the Bibles that are in your rows there, let's open up. We are in chapter 13 today and we're going to learn about the various things in life that we pursue, that we chase after. If you're uh, in the story Bible, it's on page 176. And uh, if you have the Abundant Life Bibles that's in the rows, uh, there we are in the book of First Kings, First Kings chapter 2. If you've been around or you need to catch up uh, a little bit, you know that we are reading through uh, these powerful stories of the Bible. Uh, if you're just getting here today, if you're just needing to catch up, it's not too late. You can hop in. We're in chapter 13 of the story. You know, we've been following this group of people called the Israelites, who are God's people, and they've come uh, through the desert. They're in the promised land, and they want a king. They ask God for a king, and God gives them a king, first Saul, and we know that didn't work out very well. And then David, and David was a great king, but he had his downside and his failures as well. And now as we pick up the story today and what the scripture reading was for us this morning, David is at the end of his life. David's on his deathbed, and he has chosen his son named Solomon to take over as king, and he's handing over the throne of Israel. And that's where we pick up the story today. Actually, we're going to start at the very top of page 176. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave this charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go all the way of the earth, he said, so be strong. Act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands. His laws and regulations is written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne 
of Israel. That's pretty powerful. That's a powerful words for God to say to you. So David is actually passing on to his son Solomon the advice that was first given to him. What God is saying to Solomon is essentially this. Be very, very careful in this life what your heart goes chasing after. If you're going to be running around like Bond, make sure that you're running after the things of God. And so as Solomon begins as king, he does just that. He starts out really well. In fact, skip down on that page, on page 176, uh, and actually we're in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. So just skip ahead a chapter if you're in the Abundant Life Bible. God actually comes to Solomon in a dream. I don't know if any of you have dreams, uh, if God is in your dreams or not, but this is a pretty sweet dream. So we read this, bottom of page 176. Uh, So at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask whatever you want me to give you. Whoa, let's just stop right there for a second. How cool is that? Just think about that for a second, right? Don't we just dream of a scenario like this? What if you went home this afternoon and God appeared to you in your living room and said, just ask whatever and I'll give it to you? What would you do? Faint? I mean, what would you say? I mean, think about the opportunity that is before Solomon. He could ask for anything. So this is his great opportunity. Solomon, he could ask for great wealth. He could ask for a big house, a, a fancy car. He could ask for all the women in his life that he ever wants, all the pleasure he could ever have. He could ask for a, a great long life of health. You know, you hear those jokes like a genie in a bottle. Well, this is about as close as we get to that. God just says, Solomon, I trust you. I want you to be a great king, and I want to give you whatever it is that you want. What would you ask God for? If you had one thing that you could ask God for to, to get, what would that be? Well, do you want to know how Solomon responds? Let's continue on uh, and see how Solomon answers. It says this at the top of page 177. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a, this is the king speaking, okay? But I am only a little child and did not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant, this is what he asked for, a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So above and beyond anything else that Solomon could have asked for, he asked for wisdom. He could have gone chasing after anything, and he asked for wisdom. And because of that, God blesses him. God says, I know you could have gone chasing after so many other things, but now that I know, Now that I know that your heart is set after me first and foremost, I'm ready to give you everything. I'm ready to give you the kingdom. 
And so if you read on, God gives him power, God gives him wealth and riches and palaces and armies and horses and chariots and everything he could ever want because he asked for wisdom. And I love this story, and here's why. And one of the many reasons why. I think sometimes in our lives as Christians, as we're deciding, do I really want to go all in with God? I mean, I kind of look at people around me, and maybe you're kind of looking around you at some people here today, and you kind of look around our church here, and you say, well, they're really on fire for God, and they're, they're one of those psycho Christians, right? They're serving all the time, and they bring their own Bible to church. I mean, they're like a perfect 10 Christian, right? I could never be like them. And why? Why don't you chase after God with all your heart? Because you're worried you're going to miss out on something. Sometimes I think we get this myth going in our lives that there's all these people over here that are pursuing all these other things of the world, and it looks like they're having all the fun, right? They're doing all the things that the Bible tells us not to do, and you're worried that if I choose God, that if I follow Jesus and pursue him with all my heart, that I might miss out on all these other things, that somehow I'm going to miss out on the real life, that I'm not really going to find joy because I'm over here trying to be one of these churchy people, and I'm worried all the people over there that aren't in church, they're actually the ones having all the fun. Do you ever think that? I think we all think that at one time or another. But what I love about this story, what God says to Solomon, if you had to ask for one thing, he does, and he asks for a discerning heart to know right from wrong. God says, if you choose to pursue me and follow me, you will never be disappointed. There's all these other things that you could chase after, and guess what? Solomon get, ends up getting all of those anyway. Jesus talks about this in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added to you as well. What if we actually took Jesus up on his word? What if we didn't just read the Bible? What if we actually lived it? That would change everything. And that's one of the things I love about this story. Solomon knew that I could chase after all these other things, but at the end of the day, I'm always going to wind up empty. But if I pursue God, I'm never going to be disappointed. And that's what Solomon knew. And so the first thing that Solomon pursued, instead of all these other things, was wisdom. And boy, did God give it to him. We read later on in the story that Solomon, it says, was the wisest man who ever lived. I mean, I, I don't know why my mind went here first, but just think about way back thousands of years ago, what if Jeopardy was around? Who would you want on your team? Solomon, right? He's the wisest man who ever... I'm just imagining, uh, what's his... Alex Trebek, right? That's the host. That's his name. You know how they always play around and then they go and they, they introduce the participants and they say, okay, you know, tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself, right? So they're going down the line and there's a teacher from Ohio and then there's a, uh, a doctor from, you know, St. Louis or something like that. And then they get... Alex Trebek gets to Solomon and he says, okay, um, well... Um, King, Solomon, tell us something about yourself here on Jeopardy. Uh, and then the king goes, uh, well, uh, here's my story. I had a dream, and I asked to be wise, and then God, poof, made me the smartest man in the history of the world. 
And the other two contestants are like, see ya, right? That's probably how Jeopardy would go, right? This is crazy. And, he, and Solomon was so wise that his head got so big that he had to get it out. He was so wise that he ended up writing an entire book about all his wisdom. And it's the book of Proverbs. Do you know that the book of Proverbs didn't just poof, come out of nowhere? It's Solomon. It's not his wisdom. It's God's wisdom through Solomon. And that's the book of Proverbs. If you've never read Proverbs, it's awesome. One of the great things about Proverbs, there's 31 uh, chapters in Proverbs. Most months have how many days? 30 or 31, right? What a great Bible reading plan. Challenge you for that in the new year. Read one proverb a day. Great way to spend time with God. The other great thing uh, about the Proverbs is that they're all pretty short, right? You can read through them pretty quick. And it turns out they're actually all about 130 characters uh, or less. So really, if you think about it, any Twitter fans out there? Does anybody tweet? Three of you. Good. Okay, so there's this thing called the internet. (laughs) And there's this thing called Twitter where people write little messages to each other and it has to be in 130 characters or less. And that's really what Proverbs is, okay? So it's like the king's tweets and then if you have a hashtag, I don't know if you know what a hashtag is, it would be hashtag wisdom, right? Solomon invented Twitter, folks. It wasn't just come, come around a couple years ago here. He invented it. Proverbs are these short little tweets of wisdom. And what's so great about the story, if you have the story Bible, which we encourage you still to get, is they're right here. You don't have to flip to another book. It's right here because it's chronological. So flip on over to page 179, and that's where the Proverbs are. They're embedded right into this story. And the Proverbs start out with this great verse, and actually we're going to throw it, yeah, it's up on the screen here. Let's read this together. This is Proverbs 1, verse 7. Let's read it together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this is what Solomon chooses to base his entire life on. Remember, what did he ask for? Wisdom. And so Solomon's not only talking the talk, he's walking the talk. He's living it out. So what he's saying here, some of you might be reading that like, the fear of the Lord? I'm supposed to fear God? A lot of times when we hear that word fear, it has a negative connotation, right? You ever kind of wondered about that? Just to give you a quick analogy, so when I'm growing up, I, I love my dad. I look up to him. I respect him. I think he's the strongest, coolest guy in the world. He's so smart. He's so wise. He's so strong. You might say that I had a healthy fear for my father, I loved him. I respected him because of how awesome he was. And so what Solomon's saying to us here at the beginning of Proverbs is have a holy reverence for God. In your life, do you have a healthy fear of God or is he just your buddy? (laughs) He says have a holy fear of God because he's so great and he's so awesome and he's so holy, he's so other. Have a holy fear for God. Solomon says, do you want to know the meaning of life? It starts right there with humility. Coming to God and saying, I'm not in charge of my life. That's what it means to fear God. But here's the other thing, and this is a lot of fun. Just a couple humorous things for you here. The thing that's great about the Proverbs is that there's something for almost every life stage and circumstance. In fact, check out Proverbs 20. 
29. It's on page 181, so flip over in the story. Proverbs 20, 29. This is one of my favorite uh, Proverbs. And, uh, excuse me, it goes like this. Down at the bottom of page 181. Just kind of pops up out of the middle of nowhere. If you're uh, over the age of 45, pay attention. I might get in trouble for this, but wouldn't be the first time. The glory of young men is their strength, and gray hair is the splendor of the old. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Okay, so there you go. So uh, the next time that if you're getting up there in years and you find that you are either losing your hair or it's turning gray or you're starting to see some gray and somebody gives you some flack for getting old and having gray hair, you can simply turn to them and respond, oh, do you mean the splendor that is radiating from my head? It's biblical, right? Here's another one. Here's, here's a fun one. Uh, skip ahead to uh, Proverbs 21, uh, verse 19. And uh, that is at the bottom of page 182, if you're in the story. Here's another fun one. (laughs) Gentlemen, (laughs) pay attention. Better to live in a desert than to live with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. (laughs) It's in the Bible, folks. I'm not making this stuff up, okay? Now... I'm going to spend the next half an hour of the sermon uh, exegeting this verse, okay? No, I I won't say much. There's a lot of things I could say, although some of you guys are thinking, I think I need to read the Proverbs a little bit more, right? But I'm just going to leave it at that so I don't get in trouble, right? So there's lots of fun Proverbs. There's, There's ones about gray hair and quarrelsome wives and all sorts of stuff and everywhere in between. The first thing that Solomon asked God for is wisdom, and that's the first thing he pursues, but it wasn't the only thing. The second thing that Solomon pursues is God's glory. Do you have a passion for God's glory like Solomon did? So much so that Solomon says, I'm going to rebuild the temple. This place where God's people, the Israelites, uh, believe that God's presence dwelt in a very special way. And so Solomon decides, I love God so much and I want to honor him and worship him. I'm going to build him a palace where God's spirit can dwell on this earth. And it took seven years with 180,000 workers and another 4,000 supervisors to build this palace. And it was magnificent, much of it made of gold. That gives you kind of a glimpse. That's like a, a scale model of what it looked like. So much of it made of gold. And it was known to be one of the greatest pieces of architecture in the world at the time. And people would come from all over the world to see this temple and to see Solomon and seek his wisdom. And yet after all of this, after Solomon designs and builds that, God comes to him and has some more wisdom. And it's a, we're going to skip ahead uh, to the top. Uh, to the bottom of page 188. This is Second Chronicles chapter 7. God loves the temple, don't get me wrong. But even after this, God has some words of wisdom for Solomon. Bottom of page 188. As for you, this might sound familiar, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command, excuse me, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. So this is farther on in Solomon's life. God's just reminding him here. 
But, top of page 189, if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land which I gave them and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. So get this. God says to the king, to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, I love your temples. I love everything that you've done. I love how busy you've been. But you want to know what I'm interested in most of all? Your heart. That's still what I care about. I care about your integrity. God says to Solomon and to us, do you know that I am much more interested in your integrity Do you know that I'm much more interested in who you are behind the scenes just as much as I am out in front for the world to see? Do you know that I care just as much what the motives are going on in your heart when you're alone by yourself at home as I do if you were standing up here in front of an entire church? Solomon, I want you to be the same person no matter where you are in life. I want you to be a man or woman of integrity. God says to Solomon and to us, I really care a lot more about who you're becoming than how busy you can be for me. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Do you know that the goal of your faith is not to be busy for God? Do you know that God's ultimate desire for you is not how many Bible studies you can be in or how many Bible studies you can say you've checked off your list or how many good service deeds you can do? His goal for you is that your heart would be fully his. That you would have a relationship with him. And this is where our story takes a dramatic turn. Instead of seeing God in all of life, Solomon starts to see, well, God's like a piece of pie. So if you imagine I have a cake or a piece of pie up here, right? Solomon says, well, I'm just going to cut my life into a lot of different slices, and this slice is going to be my politics one. And this slice is going to be my, uh, my relationships. And this one's going to be about my army. And this one's going to be about my building projects. And then this one over here that God really doesn't care about is my love life. Does it ring a bell that maybe with another king, his love life might have got him in trouble? Solomon's dad, <laughs> David, fell into the same trap. And that, this is where our story goes wrong. And so what happens is, in those days, polygamy, or having a lot of wives, was normal. God didn't uh, like it, but it happened. Now, Solomon had 700 wives. Some of you are saying, that can't be wise. For the wisest man in the world. But he has 700 wives, 300 concubines, and so he has 1,000 women at his disposal. And God is warning him over and over, don't do this because they're from foreign lands. Not just because they're from foreign lands, but because they worship other gods. And the longer you hang around that, it's going to start to creep into your heart. Solomon says, no, I got this. How many times do we say that when we're tempted by sin? It's fine. It's just a little bit. I'll just try it once. I'll just do it this one time. It can't hurt anything. That's what temptation does to us. And Solomon falls into this trap and pretty soon he grows lazy and he grows unfocused 
from pursuing God alone, like James Bond taking off, and he starts running after all these other women and hanging out with them, and little by little, they start to rub off on him, and he starts worshiping all these other foreign gods, and it just breaks God's heart. Imagine God saying, I gave you all this. I've been with you your whole life, and now you're running over there and worshiping some calf, some pole. Breaks God's heart. And we read about it in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11. If you're in the story Bible, it's on page 192, at the very end of this chapter. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Ouch! I think God takes our sin pretty seriously. Think of Solomon's life like a sparkler. Remember 4th of, like of July, right? You're lighting a sparkler. What does a sparkler look like when you first light it? It's bright, right? It's on fire. It's shining. But then give it 30 seconds and what happens to it? It dims and fades out. Look at a sparkler. That's Solomon's life. He started really well. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of men and women in the Bible that finish well. God says to every single one of you today, I don't care what age you are. I want you to start well in this life. And most importantly, I want you to end well. Don't grow lazy in your pursuit of me, God says. And so at the end of his life, Solomon is an old man, just like his dad David was once. And you know how we get towards the end of our lives as some of you are nearing retirement or you're seeing grandkids being born or you're seeing your kids uh, getting married, you start to get a little ref- reflective in life, don't you? Especially this time of year, we get reflective. Well, Solomon does in his old age as an old man, he gets a little reflective as well. And he decides to share his wisdom looking back on his life again. And that's where we get the book of Ecclesiastes. These books don't just randomly appear. Solomon wrote them. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is basically Solomon saying, I chased after that, I chased after that, I chased after that, and I'm still empty. So if you had a chance to ask the wisest man who ever lived what the purpose and meaning of life is, would you do it? Yeah. So let's turn to Ecclesiastes. In fact, it's up on the screen. This is what Ecclesiastes has to say about the purpose and the meaning of life. Let's read this together. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Doesn't that just bring you good uh, tidings of great joy this Christmas season? But that's what Solomon says. On this earth, anything that I could pursue that is of this world is utterly meaningless, but I'm still empty. And I hate to say it, but the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't get any better from there. I mean, it's a great book, but that's the tone of the entire book. First Solomon says, first I I went after riches, but I was empty. Then I went after women, all the the, the love and intimacy I could ever choose. I could snap my fingers and have a woman at my doorstep, but I'm empty. 
Well, then I went to the bottle and I started drinking wine and maybe I can just numb the pain of my life. And some of us have done this as well. Whatever you're addicted to, whether it's alcoholism or workaholism or anything in between. Solomon says, maybe if I just numb the pain. And he says, no, that didn't work. Maybe, maybe if I build all these palaces for God, well, that'll fill me up. Well, no, maybe if I, if, I, if I grow in my education, if I get all these titles and degrees and be really, really smart and knowledgeable, that'll fill me up. But he's still empty. On and on and on it goes. And at the very end, he still says it's meaningless. Over 37 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see the Hebrew word for meaningless. I think he's trying to get a point across. Unfortunately, at the end of his life, Solomon hears from God the words that none of us ever want to hear. Brilliant performance, but you miss the point. Brilliant performance. You got everything your heart ever wanted, but you missed the point. Sounds like uh, an, a lot like an interview that I heard uh, a few years ago with Tom Brady. Anybody, any football fans out there at all? If you're not a Patriots fan, I apologize. But if you don't know Tom Brady, he's arguably maybe the best player in the NFL, right? The quarterback is the most important position on the team, and Tom Brady is awesome. Before the age of 30, he won three Super Bowls. This is like the pinnacle of people's, career, people's careers. He has riches. He has fame. He has women flocking to him. Does that sound familiar? I don't know. Does that sound like anybody else we know? And so as you listen to this interview, I want you to maybe pick up and see if you hear the book of Ecclesiastes sneaking in. Let's listen to Tom, the great Tom Brady, NFL stars he reflects on his life. Let's take a look. Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, put a happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. Now, you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is it's, you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So, in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. He's turned down multi-million dollar endorsement deals because he didn't think they were right for him. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean... Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. That was on 60 Minutes. Tom Brady, folks. He's got it all. He's reached the top. And he's crying out on national television. I wish I knew. I remember watching that the first time online. And I'm like screaming at my computer. Like, Jesus! Right? I wish I knew. 
There's got to be something more. I wish I knew the answer. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon finally gets there. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're actually going to throw this up on the screen. Solomon says, you've heard my story. Now this is the conclusion. Let's read this together. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. How ironic. Solomon ends where he begins. It has to start with God. Anybody heard of the book, The Purpose Driven Life? You heard of that book? Rick Warren writes this. It's the best-selling book of all time after the Bible. Okay? Pretty big deal. Guess what the first sentence in The Purpose Driven Life is? It's not about you. I got nothing against Tom Brady. I hope that he finds his answer. But I wish somebody would give him that book. (laughs) It's not about, you're never going to find it in yourself. In fact, the, the first chapter of Purpose Driven Life says this. I want you to listen to this. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. It's far greater than your, listen to this. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born for his purpose alone. Solomon says, if you're going to fill that ache in your soul, it can't start with you. Anything that you're going to go pursuing after. So if you want to pursue the right things, you might be asking this morning, where do I start? And I'd say, number one, a relationship with God. I know it sounds so simple, but do you know him? Like I watched that clip from Tom Brady and I just, like my heart hurts for him. It's like, I want him to find the answer. Do you know him? Not, not, not just your parents' faith. Not just your church attendance. Jesus says, I want to have a relationship with you this morning. I want to have a relationship with you. And that leads into the second thing. Your relationships. Pursue God and pursue your family. Your friends, the people that God has put around you in your life. And love them like they're the most important people in the world. Your legacy will always start under your roof and move out. Never the other way around. And number three, something that's worth pursuing, that's eternal, serve. (laughs) Maybe God's saying to you this morning, it's time to get outside of yourself. It's time to get out. Serve. If you're feeling lonely this Christmas season, if you're feeling empty, serve somebody. Look outside of yourself and live for something that's going to last. You see, sometimes it takes the perspective of those like Solomon that have been to the end of their life to give us some perspective for those of us that are still on the journey. And another man who knows perspective well is a man named Jim Valvano. So it's kind of sports day here today. Uh, You may or may not know Jim, but Jim Valvano was the coach of the North Carolina State basketball team, and he had it all too. In 1983, they won the NCAA basketball championship. He was rich, he was famous, he had a lucrative contract, and he was a championship coach. What more could he want? A few years later, that all changed when Jim was diagnosed with bone cancer. And it spread throughout his whole body. And those of you that have been affected by cancer 
in some way know how difficult this can be for a family. He's got a young wife, and he's got three young girls. And they say, you've got maybe two years max to live. And so later in the early 90s, Jim finds himself at this uh, banquet called the ESPY Awards, which they give uh, awards for those in sports, and he is scheduled to receive this Courage Award. The problem is he can't even get out of bed. (laughs) He can hardly walk. But somehow, by a miracle, he gets there that night to give this speech. And I'm not going to show you the whole thing because it's rather long, but I'm going to give you some snippets of it. And as you watch Jim's speech, I want you to think about what it is that he's trying to tell you this morning. He's probably got a couple weeks to live. And maybe this is helpful perspective for us. Let's take a look. That room was filled with the most famous, rich people in the world. And yet they stood once that night for Jim. For Jim. So Jim dies a week after that speech. What are you going to do with the time that you've been given? We get so distracted in this life. And some of you even right now are thinking about your to-do list for this afternoon. We get so busy and distracted. Maybe it's time to get outside of yourself. Jim discovers maybe it's not about trophies. Maybe it's not about awards and accolades and being rich and being famous. And I don't know if you noticed, there's a little bit of a difference between the Tom Brady interview and Jim's speech. And I have nothing against Tom Brady, but one of them is still searching. And one of them has the greatest peace that he's ever known, a week away from dying from cancer. How can that be so? Maybe he's found the right things to pursue. What are you chasing after these days? Where will you find meaning in life? And from Solomon's story, we learn this, and this is where I want to leave it with you today. There's only one way that you're going to find lasting meaning and purpose in this life, and that's to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not to know about him, not to come to church once in a while, to let him in all the way in so that when you get to the end of your life you can smile and say I don't care about the 30 second timer in the back I don't care about people folks I okay he spoke that long that whole show was like an hour long and he spoke for like 35 minutes of it right and you think a 30 minute sermon is long the most important thing that I could tell you today is live your life for things that are going to last for Jesus Christ and let him in this Christmas season. Don't miss Christmas. Let him in. Let him all the way in. That's the only way that you're not going to wind up empty in this life. Even if you pursue good things. Oh, I'm a good person. Oh, I love my family. Oh, I have a good job. I'm a good church person. It doesn't matter. You can't take it with you. I just want you to know Jesus. That's our heart as a church. And when you find him, 
then pursue him all your days with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Pursue him like James Bond. Amen? Let's stand together.